Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be bringing you all six stats from the last six games, OKC's historic week, and then I'm going to be talking about the rotation and a few stock risers that we have seen. And to top it all off, I'm going to be giving a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook, so you do not want to miss out on that. But guys, my apologies yet again. Been a bit of a hiatus from me. I've been talking a bit on Twitter here and there, uh, but no pods as of late. We're back. Hopefully, hopefully the schedule will be good by next week. Finally wrapping up finals. That's kind of what's been hindering me. But there's also been some really good news for myself. I just got an internship over at SI Now. I'll be covering content on the Thunder side of things. Their Twitter is OKC Thunder SI. I'm going to be working with some really great people, Derek Parker, Nick Crane. Going to be working with two other interns as well, Chris Becker and Ross Lovelace. So I'm super pumped uh, to start the gig there. I've actually already started. I uh, started with the Drake appearance earlier uh, in the week, done a game recap, and a couple other stories as well on there. And I will be back tomorrow for the game recap but yeah that's kind of what I have been doing on the Thunder side obviously now I'm back with a pod hoping to keep it rolling and thank you guys so much for sticking around there I know Chenso whenever I made the announcement on Twitter uh, mentioned he's been listening for nine months really appreciate it man really appreciate really all the support and Honestly, like without the support I've received on the pod and without the traction I got on my blog, probably wouldn't have happened. So it means the world just people uh, tuning in to listen to what I have to say about the OKC Thunder. But yeah, really appreciate it, guys. Um, But let's just get started with the six game stretch that I missed out on with you all. So they started with the Utah Jazz. This was a really close game. They lost 194 28 lead changes it was just flopping back and forth back and forth obviously the thunder they're on the wrong side here they lose by six dort was pretty good though he had 27 and what you have to keep in mind sga was not playing in this game so they did not have their superstar they had to find offense elsewhere and lou dort did it dort kind of has a track record of just dominating against the jazz it was no different in this game and then also Aaron Wiggins got a place a start as well which was a pretty nice appearance from him he's been doing a lot of work with the OKC Blue so to see Mark Dagnall kind of trust him with the starting role was very very nice but then they got to go back home they got to use their black and white jerseys against the Washington Wizards this one was down to the wire literally until the final possession SGA gets it with a three-point pull up they're down two does not go in they lose by two points 101 to 99 and OKC was down the entire second half it was an uphill battle pretty much the entire way they had some traction early lost it had to make a last ditch effort to get the W and they were a couple inches off depending on how it bounced on the iron so it was a pretty good game in my book Lou Dort has 21 points again so he continues the 20 point treachery and then SGA has 15 points eight rebounds and eight assists in his return game but you get out of the way with those two losses it's fine because what you have 
uh, after that on the schedule. You have a baseball set against the worst team record-wise in the NBA, the Houston Rockets. Going into this game, I think they were about 2-17 and or something ridiculous like that. This was not an impressive team. One of their wins came against the Oklahoma City Thunder. It was that just absolute onslaught. They win by 30. Looked like the Harlem Globetrotters with all the alley-oops and stuff. Uh, but they go in here, and OKC is looking to send a message, get a W here. For the Rockets, they're also looking to get a win too because they've been pretty bad. And when you look at their head coach, he was kind of on the hot seat. And, you know, you can't really blame him. There's a lot of losses, but also he thought there was going to be Russell Westbrook and James Harden, not what they currently have. But good thing for the Rockets. They got the win here. They won by 13, 102 to 89 and the big reason for this is OKC could not buy a bucket in the first game that they played OKC was statistically pretty bad from the floor a lot of what you saw was SGA just not being able to get other people open you know he'd drive inside it'd be doubled he'd kick it out to the three would not go in and SGA couldn't create at the three-point line so you kind of get screwed there Kind of the same in this game too. SGA goes 2 of 5, goes 9 of 20 overall to pick up 22 points, but he can't get many assists out there. Only has 4, and the team high was giddy. He actually looked really good uh, with some of the passes that he was making, but it was just not enough, and the passes are great, right? But you gotta cash in on those opportunities. When you check the potential assists in this game, Giddy's at like 15, SGA's at 14, off the charts, but they could never capitalize. They end up shooting 7 of 43 from beyond the arc. That's terrible. 16.3%. You might be able to shoot that yourself, right? Like, that's not gonna work in a game. And the fact that they only lost by, what, 13 is actually pretty good considering when you check with, uh, what the Rockets were doing from there. I mean, they're shooting 32.6%, and, you know, they shot it. 46 times so they had all three levels the thunder they were kind of limited just inside but also they were pretty good at the foul line they shot 26 free throws hit 20 of them to kind of keep them in because uh, when you check the rockets they only made seven in this game uh, but yeah that was kind of the main issue christian wood he was a monster in the first game monster in the second game he has 24 points and 21 rebounds when you check the thunder they were out of Derek favors in this one so jeremiah robinson earl had to take that matchup it's not a favorable one and jeremiah just wasn't feeling it shot 0 of 4 only had seven rebounds so that's kind of where you get that 13 point loss but there were two pretty solid outliers and i'm not going to say outliers really uh, but you know they got the opportunity in this game and they made the most of it. The first one is Trey Mann, explosive with the OKC Blue prior to this point. He gets recalled. He drops 17 points and has seven rebounds. Those are both career highs for him. And he ends up shooting five of 12 to get there. Only goes one of five from three, but goes six of six from the foul line. We know how Trey Mann likes to play. He goes in. If he's going inside, the number one thing is scoring for him. He's not really looking to kick it out that much right now. Hopefully, that's kind of what the G League experience could tune him up to be, maybe kick it out. But right now, he's looking to attack. He's looking to get to the stripe. He gets there in this game, but also the floaters have looked good. Now, when you break down his full game, there's a lot of pull-ups that you're going to see from the three-point line and also on the interior. 
He still goes one of five from three, so this is not a good performance from him. But you kind of start thinking like, hey, he's looking like a beast picking up fouls inside. He's looking good, kind of picking his spots on the floaters. If he goes to three and five from downtown, that's a 20 piece off the bench. That's pretty damn scary. And when he starts getting those passes going as well, he only had one in this game. That's when he becomes lethal. So this was kind of the breakout game for him. And then it was also a breakout game for Isaiah Roby as well. And Isaiah Roby, you know, he's not new to the Thunder scene. He was the starter last year. But with Jeremiah Robinson Earl kind of climbing up the depth chart and Derek Favors and Mike Muscala still being in the mix, he got pushed to the blue. He gets to come in this game. He has 17 points of his own and has five rebounds. Goes eight of 10, really all around the perimeter, or not the perimeter, the interior. He went one of two uh, from the three ball. But this was the most impressive game that I saw from the role players. Uh, even though it was a loss, but they get to play the Rockets again. This time, it is in the Paycom Center, and it was neck and neck. Six minutes to go, the Thunder actually leading, but they squandered it. They lose by four, 114 to 110, kind of came down to a last second free throw contest that the Rockets ended up winning. Jay Sean Tate had 32 points, went 11 of 15. This was kind of just like an oddball game when you're looking at who the top producers were, at least on the Houston Rockets side of things, because Jay Sean's good. You don't expect to see 32 from him. You look at their bench too, um, Armani Brooks. He's a lethal sharpshooter, but does he erupt for 20-plus? Uh, not typically. He was riding on a hot streak going into this game, though, so sort of makes sense. Gets 18 points going 7 of 10 from the floor, but guys like Christian Wood, he only played 9 minutes before getting pulled, but he had nothing on the, uh, on the stat sheet. And then Kevin Porter Jr. as well only had 10 points. Those are the two primary scorers for you. Uh, just straight crickets from them. And then you're looking at guys like Jalen Green. Well, he didn't even play. So they had to kind of look at their bench units uh, to source some production. And they were able to just barely scrap it out. But for the Thunder, really good game from SGA. He has 39 points in this one. Goes 1 of 8 from 3, which is uh, not ideal like at all. But he picked it up because he went 14 of 16 from the charity stripe. That's a career high in terms of attempts. And 39 is kind of pushing it in terms of what his career high would be. I believe it is 42. But one hell of a game from him. Lou Dort had 19, so pretty good as the second option there. And then Jeremiah Robinson Earl almost got a double-double with 12 points and 9 rebounds. But that is when you go into the Memphis Grizzlies game. Just lost your last four going into Memphis this is a game where the injury report is very interesting because on one side, the Thunder, they don't have SGA, they don't have Josh Giddy. Arguably, their two best players are gone. For Memphis, they don't have John Morant. That's their best player. Uh, that's kind of the end of the story there. So, weakened down teams. This is a lot of bench play that you're going to find. Uh, and. It didn't look like it at all. It looked like you had the freaking dream team playing against some JV roster because this was the worst loss in NBA history. The Thunder got down 152 to 79. I really don't need to recap this because let's be honest here. Either you saw the game, you heard about the game, 
or you heard Jeff Van Gunny just ripping into them when you saw the NBA TV promo they had uh, earlier on in the week. But this was a good old-fashioned beatdown really at its finest here. Like wire-to-wire domination from Memphis. Not even a single chirp from the Thunder uh, in this game. And you had your high scorer in Lou Dort. He had 15 points. He shot three of eight from the field. Like he had to get all his points at the foul line, really. And that was the only category the Thunder really won here. They had 18 made free throws. The Grizzlies only had 13. Um, But the main thing is the points. You're almost getting doubled. And it was really neck and neck. Uh, It took like a really valiant effort for them to not get doubled. And that would have added to another historical record. I think you've, there's only been a double uh, one other time in league history, but oh my goodness, man, this was start to finish a very, very difficult game for the Thunder. Really no life there. Ty Jerome mentioned after that game that, you know, the loss to UMBC uh, was actually easier to take than what was going on in this game because against UMBC, you know, you got the one versus 16. Ty, as we know, played for Virginia. They had high expectations. They're down like 20. I guess you can take it a bit easier then, but now you're down 70 points and you cannot do anything about it. You got Santi Almada playing like he's Michael Jordan out here. You think I'm kidding? He was on like the top five plus minus record at the end of this game. He finished with a plus 52, went eight of 16 to get 18 points and 10 rebounds. Like what is going on there? Um, but yeah, there's just some wacky, wacky stuff where guys that you never really heard of or you haven't thought about that much are just dropping 20 pieces and they cannot miss like whatsoever John Conchar is one of those two he shot seven of eight three of four got 17 points in 26 minutes like just what is going on there and you look at the splits they shot 62.5 percent from the field 52.8 percent from three And then they outscored the Thunder just off the paint alone. Look at points in the paint for the Memphis Grizzlies. They finished the game with 82 points right there. The Thunder only had 79 as a collective. So forget about the threes, forget about the foul line. The Grizzlies are taking it off of the paint alone. And that really just tells you how dominant uh, this was for Memphis. It was sort of lifeless for the Thunder. I cannot imagine anyone is really talking to each other after that game like that is just demoralizing like very very demoralizing so yeah you don't have SGA you don't have Giddy but does it really make it better I don't really know if it does like for a locker room I'm sure it does not make anything better so they had to take that in they didn't get a game until Monday so they had Friday Saturday and Sunday to just ponder things And they get to go up to Detroit to face the Cade Cunningham-led Detroit Pistons. And this did not look good for the Thunder. This looked like a good old story where Twitter would be blowing up, media would be blowing up, just complaining about Sam Presti. That's what we've heard about for about a week now. People have been publicly shaming Sam Presti when the Thunder are not the worst team in the NBA. Uh, But that's just kind of how it is. So, you have the Detroit Pistons here. They are up 18 points uh, at some stint in this game, and that is very scary. That's a comeback that's pretty difficult to make, 
Uh, and for those that are against the Thunder, you know, they're salivating at this moment right here. But the Thunder showed up when it mattered. They finished the fourth quarter, or I guess they outscored the Pistons 42-22 to in the frame to take it 114-103. to This fourth quarter was honestly ridiculous in terms of production here. Everyone for OKC was just lighting it up. They shot 17 of 19 from the field. That's 89.5%. And then from three, goes four of four. Didn't even miss. At the foul line, they go four of seven. So I guess that's their worst spot here. But they were just going ballistic. No way the Pistons were going to stop them. And Kate Cunningham played great. He had 28 points, had 11 rebounds. I think he had five or six assists there. So he was nearing a triple-double. But you just cannot stack up against that when, you know, they're pretty much playing Papa Shot the final 12 minutes of a game. So SGA, he was insane. He had 30 points, had 13 assists to go along with it. Goes 9 of 20. The the 3 was not there, but the free throw line was still open. Went 12 of 15. That really helped him. And then the free throw line was open for Lou Dort too. He went 5 of 5 from there. Had 28 points in all went five of ten from three-point land and then Kenrich Williams off the bench he got a steady plate of minutes for once he had 27 minutes here he went five of eight to collect 12 points had three rebounds three assists and four steals to just be that spark plug on the defensive side of things so this was a very good game and this is one where you can kind of just forget about what happened on Thursday because Let's be honest, nobody wants to remember that. So it's been one hell of a week for the OKC Thunder, and that kind of brings us to the six main points from those past six games. But before I get into that, I want to let you guys know about a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. Football fans, I'm sure we all love the action-packed, high-scoring NFL game. But with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single points scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long, and they will be giving a free shot at millions for all new customers upon their first deposit. And here's what you have to do. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets if they score. You score with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, go ahead and call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving right along to kind of the six storylines that I wanted to pick out from this. 
I want to start with SGA. And no, when I break down these games in a six, I'm just talking these six. So for SGA's case, he was out for two of these games. So this is an analysis on four games we saw from SGA. And the first thing is he could not hit a three-point shot to save his life. And that is traditionally a pretty big red flag it's not good and honestly traditionally whatever it's just not good point blank it's never good when SGA is not hitting his threes because you need to have that third level so whenever he does drive inside you know they're kind of on edge and that's when he can kind of work at his best inside because you don't want SGA to get sagged up on and then once he drives inside well he just got screwed over because there's two guys right in front of him but yeah I mean he has shot 15.8% in the last four games from distance, 4.8 tries a game. So it's not like he's hardly taken them. He's taken them. They are just not falling in his direction. But the silver lining and what kind of overrides this to make it a positive or not that bad of a negative is the fact that the free throw line has just been consistently open for him uh, these last four games. And he's been averaging 9.8 attempts a night sticking 7.3 of them in so he's looking pretty good there and then when you break it down he had his career high in free throws attempted in the game against Houston that was the second uh, of that baseball set there and then he almost neared that record uh, in last night's game against the Detroit Pistons so he has been very active inside that's what leading uh, is leading to a lot of those foul calls the thing is though you need to see him tap back into that three. His sidestep and his step back are both lethal. You really can't stop those when he's feeling it. And then as we know, he's one of the best slashers in the game. So when he's driving inside, if it's a one-on-one matchup, you should probably be uh, probably be betting on SGA like every single time. And if it's not going to go in, he's going to pick up a foul. He'll probably stick in two of those free throws. So He's very good when it comes to that side of things. Obviously, the kickouts, I don't really know if you want to limit those because, yeah, if he's getting doubled, you want to kick it out to the wide open corner, but, you know, people are kind of struggling there. He could just keep it on ISO ball if he's hitting that three down, but he's still averaging around 26 points in this stretch, so it's really not all that bad for him anyways currently. He's averaging 26 and a half, uh, but yeah, obviously the three-point shot is not working in his favor, but it's okay. I mean, even passing-wise, he's been averaging seven a night, so I think you just kind of take it game by game. He's going to tap back into that three eventually. We saw with Lou Dort, like, he was absolute garbage from three to begin the season. Now he's, like, the top dog from there, so I'm sure SGA will, uh, will follow suit. Just wait a couple games. think he will be all right, but I want to continue to talk about Lou Dort. He was kind of the main story in the last episode I did, and he's going to stay up the top here just because of how impressive he has been. And when you break down his last six, he's averaging 19.5 points, two and a half rebounds, and two assists. And there was an outlier game here where he only had seven points. You throw that out, you're looking at a 20 plus average for him, and that's kind of been the norm where he's dropping 20 pieces and he's just looking insane, particularly from three. He's shooting 39.6% right now uh, from threes in this stretch. And then when you uh, kind of broaden it out to his overall season statistics, 
he's been able to kind of rejuvenate his stat line so it's back at 33 and a half that's really where it was last season uh the main reason is because as i talked about he opened the year extremely shaky from downtown but when you look at him as a catch and shoot threat he's about as legit as you're gonna find on this thunder roster you better be guarding him up whether it's the wing top the key really anywhere he's really just asserted himself and he's able to kind of just freeze up defenders it's very weird because you'd think by now he'd be getting closed out every time it doesn't happen so they just kind of freeze frame for a second there and then once he gets that indication like hey they're not actually going to press up on me i'm just going to pop the three and it works in his favor a lot of the time so the three ball has been the big big deal for lou dort but he's still been very damn assertive i talked about how he was doing well Uh, these last couple games and getting to the foul line he's averaging just a nick below five per game right now shooting 86 percent and then just the overall palette too where he's able to get his head down and drive inside on the penetrations he's really turned into that three level score that they just desperately needed somewhere outside of sga and yeah that's all you need so he's been the second in command really from day one as a scorer and in this six game stretch it's been much the same and honestly he's taken the reins as number one because sga had to be out for two of those games another guy who was out a little bit here was kenrich williams but it's interesting because sometimes kenrich is out just for the sake of other young guys playing other times he's out you know just for whatever i think he actually was dealing with injuries this time around but when he was playing he was beasting three games in this stretch averaged 11.7 points per game had 2.3 defensive rebounds that adds up to 3.3 because he'd have the one on offense Uh, and then he had 2.3 assists so just a clean cut plate for him in terms of production and he did it all in 22.8 minutes and this is really nothing new from Kendrick Williams like I remember talking last year about how he had the best contract in the league one of because back then it was three years for six mil now it's two years for four mil but that's insane value if you're a contender and you want to have a guy who can really do it all you want to look at Kendrick Williams probably circle him and try to call up Sam Presti I'm sure he he was called up at some point about Kenrich but yeah he's been wild and to make it even better I don't even think the offense has been the greatest part for him defensively he averaged 2.7 steals he had four steals in that last game kind of turned the tides of the game with all the different steals that he was getting all those extra possessions uh, for Bricktown there but just even as a shooter too like man has been lethal now when you look at Kenrich Williams's actual stat line for the year he's not shooting 44 45 percent from three anymore like that was an outlier and I think we kind of ruled that out like you know probably drop down maybe upper 30s would still be the benchmark for him Uh, right now he just hasn't been that though the big thing is just the mid-range and really just all around his shots are always going to be high quality he's not out there just taking shots for the hell of it he's never like that he is the glue guy that every team really needs if he has a wide open catch and shoot three he'll take it there's a better shot out there he's gonna kick it out And what it's led to is him shooting 75% from the field in the last three games. 
This is the sort of efficiency that needs to be there every single day for the Thunder from somebody. And some games, you're going to find people shooting 0 of 7, 1 of 6. That's fine. Kendrick Williams hardly does that. If he has a game where he's shooting one of six, he probably is going to give you three, four steals. He's going to be beasting on rebounds. He always compensates when he has a flaky game on offense, and this was the same last season. So he's really just brought himself back into the conversation. When we were trying to break down depth charts, Kendrick Williams was always there, but he was kind of an enigma because you do know he's better than the young guys, but also you got to play the young guys. Right now, I say play him above the young guys because he has been feeling it. And I'm all for uh, what is going on with Kenny Hustle. And, you know, he's been good. Some of these guys, particularly the young ones, have been falling off and have been very inconsistent. The biggest one uh, right now is Darius Baisley. And Darius Baisley has been inconsistent since he got drafted. Like rookie year, he was just a sweet surprise in the bubble. But last season, he took that major leap, turned into that starter. You didn't see many games where he was extremely productive. He looked like a top option. There are a lot of those games where he was relatively bad from the floor. And this season, it's really been much the same. And he had a couple good games to begin the year. I remember talking about, hey, he had like, I think 11 and 11. There was a double-double Uh, And it looked way better than the game where he dropped 20 points just because, you know, he doesn't need to be that number one, number two guy. That's what he tried being earlier on in the season. Just hide away, be the off-ball threat. But, you know, if he gets the ball and he has an open lane, by all means, take it. Just don't force anything. And right now, he's really not forcing anything, uh, but the numbers have not looked that good for him right now. In the last six He's averaged 5.7 points, 5.5 rebounds, and 0.7 assists on 23.7 minutes. And his best game actually came in the last one against the Pistons. He did have a couple of pretty emphatic uh, makes. I think he had seven overall in the game. The one in the fourth quarter was obviously the biggest uh, to kind of put him up on that platform. But yeah, like he has not been shooting well, and it is a major problem. I've kind of assessed this roster just millions of times, I feel like, but when you have SGA and you have Josh Giddy playing together, those are two very big playmakers. They're going to create open shots, and you got to surround them with shooters. Lou Dort is perfect, right? He's going to hit the shots, but what about outside of that realm? Darius Baisley, he's your power forward. You gotta hit three-point shots. The way that I see it is, look, if you're gonna run this rotation where you have Giddy and you have SGA and they have to coexist and you see a lot of driving dishes, you can only have one non-shooter on a team. And traditionally, that's gonna be your center. Now, it's a little bit different with OKC because they don't have a traditional center. Uh, Really, they don't have one. And they have Mike Muscala, who's insane from three. Jeremiah Robinson Earl has been looking good too. But let's say they're in playoff contention. I just don't see how Darius Baisley can be that power forward right now because he has to knock down the threes. And currently, he's not really knocking down any sorts of shots. In this stretch, he's shooting 34.4%. 30% from downtown as well 30.8 if you want to get down to the nitty uh nitty gritty of it but like 
that's not great. And then when you look at his stats going into the Detroit game, this is from Nick Crane. It's pretty much the worst uh, starter in the league in terms of field goal percentage, shooting 34.8%. And technically, when you look at the list, it makes him sixth. But look at the guys ahead of him. Blake Griffin, Kent Bazemore, Killian Hayes, Jalen Suggs, and Avery Bradley. Avery ba- uh, Bradley and Kent Bazemore, they're not really consistent starters. Kind of same deal with Blake Griffin. And then you look at Killian Hayes and Jalen Suggs. Killian Hayes didn't play that much as a rookie. He's been very, very up and down. So it makes sense why he's on that list. And then Jalen Suggs is like just getting his feet wet in the NBA. So you can't really fault him. With Darius Baisley, this is his third season now. And I get it because you can talk about Baisley's kind of story, right? Like he didn't have the traditional upbringing of going to college or going overseas. He was a shoe intern for a year. And then he hops into the NBA and yeah, he's going to need to kind of develop here. And it's more of a an archetype that you kind of got to mold out. But third season, he's 21 years old. He can drink now, right? Like you got to find kind of that strong medium and you got to find exactly what he's good at. And what he's good at, he's a very good ball handler at times. And he's very good at taking some of these bigger players off the dribble, but he can't package it together on a night to night basis because he cannot hit the threes. If you're going to give him five feet of distance and he's going to shank it every time, well, hell, let's give him eight feet of distance, right? And just make him hesitate to take those threes he's not making those threes if he's gonna try to force it inside it's never gonna work because he's already gonna be smothered there so when you break it down I mean Bayes has to find rhythm I think it starts from the three but just in all areas he hasn't been too efficient he's shown globs of it but you gotta start showing it more than once every five six games you know what I mean and there are plenty of other guys on this roster that I think could get some minutes. Isaiah Roby's look consistent at some stints. Alexei Pokashevsky has. Jeremiah's kind of claimed his spot here, but you know, you're kind of just keeping him in this spot where there's not a lot of up and up right now, and I guess you're kind of just waiting to see if he can crack it, and Mark Dagnall's been pressed over the week on Baisley. I think he's kind of just said like, hey, He's going to work through it. He's worked through it before. Um, but yeah, really just waiting to see when he can emerge back on the scene. And it's destined to happen. In like a week or two, I'm going to be saying, ooh, Darius Baisley's back. But is he actually back? Is he actually to that spot where you know for sure he can be a part of the future? He's kind of on the tail end of his rookie contract now. He's got this year, next year, and then that's when you start looking at the qualifying offers and potentially restricted free agency. I saw some potential trade rumors just like floating it around like, hey, maybe the situation's not ideal for Bays. Maybe a team like the Kings could want him. Trade Marvin Bagley over, like something like that. Uh, I don't think we're at the trade stages or anything. I think you're still going to see a lot more of Darius as the season progresses, but just always have to monitor his situation right now his stock is low so you know what that means you buy in it and he's destined to have a couple boom games uh, where you can kind of get back on the Darius Baisley train but next I want to talk about numbers five and six on kind of my keys that I saw and it's about the rotation 
kind of shifting one way or the other. And the first player I want to talk about is Ty Jerome and just his recent emergence. This is a story I did on SI. So if it rings a bell, that might be it. Uh, But I just want to talk about him for a little bit because when we've talked about the guards on this podcast, Ty Jerome has been the clear number four option. And when I'm talking about guards, I'm talking about SGA. I'm talking about Trey Mann, Teo Maladon, and then there's Ty. He's four out of four because SGA's obviously one. Teo looked really good last year, or I'd say he looked really good. Statistically, you kind of dig into it. It wasn't that great, but he had good moments. I would have put him at two to begin the year. Trey Mann at three. And then you have Ty Jerome as a 24-year-old too. Hey, he's good, but does he really fit the team? The answer to that is yes. And he started as number four, but he's climbed the ladder. He's easily taken the number three spot. And now he's kind of in contention uh, for that number two spot. But it's just kind of crazy how we've seen Ty just get to where he is now. Because when you look at Ty last year, he was pretty good. I mean, he averaged 10.7 points, 2.8 rebounds, 3.6 assists, only played 24 minutes a game. And then from three, he was wild. He was launching 32 footers like it was a layup at some points. Uh, but then he comes into this year and you're not seeing him play. Well, he finally caught his break in mid-November because you had Trey Mann go with the blue. Teo was looking kind of bad as well. So you saw some room uh, to kind of capitalize on. And Ty Jerome just straight up took it. He got to play in two games at 14 points at nine points. Teo, his one game before officially losing the spot last month, I think he shot like one of seven or something. It was a really bad game for him and he played 28 minutes. So he lost it right then and there. He got pushed out of the G League on November 11th and it's just been Ty Jerome really ever since. And he's played 19 games this year, Jerome has. He's averaged 7.2 points, 1.2 rebounds, and 1.2 assists, only playing 14 minutes a game. And that's still ridiculous efficiency, just like from what we saw last year. And the thing with Ty Jerome that I love, and the reason why I think he overtook Teo, and he's kind of working with um, with Trey Mann right now, is because he's able to play off the ball. That's the trait that we kind of knew from the get-go last season, like, even in the G League, Xavier Simpson was the number one ball handler when they were both out there. So he could just hide around the wing and he'd just cash out on catch and shoot opportunities. And that's exactly what he has done thus far. So when you actually break down the numbers on his threes this year, it's not that great. He's only shooting 30% on a little over three attempts per game, but when it's on catch and shoot opportunities, it does take a little bit of a boost. So that is a little bit of a help, but you got to look at it like this. You know, you're looking at Ty Jerome versus Teo. Teo needs the basketball in his hands. He kind of needs to be the number one guy in an offense because he's a pretty solid playmaker. He's able to linger up top. He can actually drive inside off a high ball screen has the floater work occasionally. Like if he gets his touchdown, he's going to be a very good floater specialist, but also kicking it outside. He's very good with the cross court passes, probably better than Ty Jerome, but Teo has looked like garbage in terms of three point percentages. And really just overall, like when you break down his stat line, it's 2.6 points per game, 1.8 rebounds and one assist. 
and he's still getting decent minutes here, averaging around 13 a game. The three-point shot is 11.5, though, so major, major difference between those two in Ty and Teo, and then when you look at what Ty's doing, like, he's still able to drop those games where he's going, like, three of four or three of three from downtown, and we've kind of become accustomed to him playing second fiddle, and that's sort of what the Thunder need when you look at SGA and when you look at Josh Giddy. That's kind of the same premise I used when I talked about Darius and when I talked about why Dort is such a good fit on this team currently. You just need shooters to surround this roster, and Ty is just a much better shooter than Teo. That's it. Uh, when you go into actual playmaking ability, I would give Teo a bit of an edge, but with Giddy there now, it's like a little bit depleted, or I guess watered down, not even depleted. There's too much playmaking, so I guess that kind of does put him in the shadows. That's what makes Ty a little bit better, but also when he needs to be that secondary playmaker and when he needs to be the front man, he can do it. Like His assist to turnover ratio was wild last season. It's still pretty good. And it's just because he's always on watch when he's in a half-court situation. He'll take a screen up top, and he can also, you know, pull it from 30 feet. Like, that's still in his range. But if he sees a backdoor cut or he sees an opening elsewhere, he's going to make that pass. He's always a pass-first guard, but he's able to shoot it at will when necessary. So kind of that duality that you're going to find from him has sort of put him on this pedestal to where he's getting double-digit minutes uh, now. But... It started to dip a little bit. Trey Mann has looked like a monster. When you look at the last six or so games from him, he's actually averaging above 10 a game. Like he had the 17 point game not too long ago. I think he sizzled in 12 uh, in one of the games. I think it was the Grizzlies game. He had 12, but he's looked good. So do I expect Ty to drop a bit? Yeah, but also he's still above Teo. And that's a pretty big breakthrough when you look at the actual order of this team and potentially what could happen when you look at trades, because I can't imagine Teo's too happy uh, going from minute leader to now playing with the Oklahoma City Blue almost on a consistent basis uh, basis at this point. But he has looked good. Last game was not great for him, but I'm assuming he will bounce back in the next one. I want to talk about another guy, though, that has kind of been in and out of the G League ranks thus far, and that is Isaiah Roby. Isaiah Roby is kind of like Ty Jerome in the sense where he was getting major minutes last year and it just got completely axed. And when you look at him going into this season, you'd actually imagine he'd have a larger role than last year almost because Moses Brown was gone, Al Horford, we knew he was gone, but also Tony Bradley was gone. So the center rotation was bare bones. You had Mike Muscala, you had Derek Favors, and you had Isaiah Roby. That was about it. Yeah, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, but he wasn't a center going into, you know, NBA ranks in college. He was the power forward for Villanova. Occasionally, you spot him in at the five, but you were kind of looking at, at Isaiah Roby as the starting center, sort of in the revolving door situation you had last season where if Al Horford was playing, he'd be the starter. If not, then you got Isaiah Roby playing as your number one. So I thought it'd be swap in Derek Favors instead of Al Horford and you just keep it rolling. But that has not been the case. That has been because Jeremiah Robinson Earl has sort of played out of his mind thus far. And he's been averaging 6.8 points per game, 5.8 rebounds per game. And he has taken the starting role 
right out of Isaiah Roby's hands. He's been a better three-point shooter than Roby, which is why he's taken it, why he deserves it, shooting around 34% uh, from the field, but also he can fill in as that small ball five. So Jeremiah Robinson Earl comes in, a little bit of a younger prospect, looks like relatively uh, the same in terms of actual stat lines. So of course you're going to give the edge to the 20-year-old, and, and he's looked good. I mean, he's dropped multiple, multiple double-digit games this year. A lot of it has been due to the pick-and-pop game when he goes to the top of the key, takes it, makes it, makes defenders pay a lot. Uh, and that's just kind of the end of the story. But because of it, Isaiah Roby is now not number one. And is there really more room at the five? Answer has been no thus far because Derek Favors and Mike Muscala have been there. And when either of them are healthy, they're going to receive minutes. And Mike Muscala has been one of the top five players on this Thunder team this year. Just how it is. When you break down like the most efficient, it very well could be Mike Muscala this year. Just because he goes in, he hits a couple threes, and then he's out within 10-11 minutes with 8-9 points in a game. That's just the type of guy uh, you're going to find in Moose, and he always gets the job done, really. So you can't really fault Dagnault for putting those guys in the rotation, but there was no room for Roby three through five. So what did Mark Dagnault do? He sent him down for a little bit of a vacation with the OKC Blue, and he has been with the Blue before, not last year, but the year before that, whenever... He was with the Texas Legends for a bit, got traded in that like extremely one-sided deal for Justin Patton. OKC took the cake on it. But um, yeah, like that was the last time we saw him in the G League. So he goes down and he didn't really even have to play that much with the blue. He just looked that freaking good. He, he played a pair of games with the blue and he averaged 16 and a half points, 12 rebounds and three and a half assists. All he did was just doing the things that put him in the starting unit last year where, hey, if you're going to sag off on me from three, let me take the shot. But if you're going to tighten up, you know, you got this big bolsterous seven footer with kind of flat feet because you are playing at the G League level. Just blow right by him, get some points. I know when he played against the Salt Lake City Stars, Zaire Wade tried taking him at the left or no, the right wing. That's the biggest mistake, mistake he's made in his professional career because he just got bulldozed by Isaiah Roby. He got a slide right inside for the left-handed layup, went in off the bank, and that was sort of that. But yeah, I mean, it was obvious he was playing above the competition there, and then he just got pulled right back up. You recall him, get him off that assignment, and he has looked good really ever since when you look at the games he's had and i'm gonna toss out the uh the pistons game here he's looked very freaking good and in those games he has placed averages of 7.9 points 3.1 rebounds and 1.1 assists in 15.3 minutes already talked about the 17 point game he had 8 of 10 that's what you want to see from him and he hasn't really cracked the full rotation yet. He's still on the outside looking in. I said it, I'm not counting the Pistons game. He literally didn't play. So that's why you're not putting it in there. But he's looked productive. And when you look at who's ahead of him, it's still Derek Favors. It's still Mike Muscala. And it's still Jeremiah Robinson Earl. But the question is, when does Isaiah Roby get another chance? Is he going to be 
this role player that everyone thought he'd be where hey last year like he was the starting center but the long-term plan was he'd be a pretty damn good role player on a contending or playoff level team uh but now he's not even getting minutes on a team that's honestly a bottom dweller right now uh league standing wise so he's not getting it there that hurts a lot but also you know he has shown those splashes of talent i guess you could say and it's to the point where i think he probably deserves some of those minutes yet again see where it goes and potentially he can climb back up into that double digit piecing uh on that nightly unit but it's really up to management in terms of how they want to do it with not just Isaiah Roby, but guys like Ty Jerome, because they're a little bit off in terms of age, but also night to night, they can be pretty decent for you. Um, I think he could be a guy that you could hold around for a little bit longer, maybe like that cheap type journeyman contract, just add them one year, two year deals, anything, uh, maybe just keep him as that like 12th man. Currently, he's not even the 12th man though. And that's kind of where you start thinking of some questions. But I think he's looked good. Everyone that I've really heard talk about Roby thus far has put him in a positive light. I don't really see how you can look at him as a negative. He's been one of the lone bright spots out of the last couple weeks. So I think you should keep uh, keep the ball moving. Keep him on the rotation. And when you look at tomorrow's upcoming game, probably put him in on that active roster and tomorrow's game is going to be against the Raptors they are actually going to Canada for that game so it's going to be a 6:30 tip a little bit earlier than usual not that bad uh, but it's going to be a very good contest if Scotty Barnes is suiting up it's going to be one hell of a game a lot of people wanted Scotty Barnes so you're going to see a glimpse of him I was a big Kuminga fan got to see him a little bit in one of the Warriors games, and I will say, Scotty Barnes has looked a lot better than Jonathan Kaminga, so this is one where you'd probably get your popcorn ready, but should be there to give you guys a recap, don't know if it's going to be tomorrow, going to keep it real, but it's going to be coming in the near future, going to try to churn out some consistent uploads in the next week or so, but I really appreciate you guys kind of sticking around through all this, going to be consistent and yeah just really appreciate it but that is going to do it for today's episode i thank you all for listening and i will talk to you all next time see ya